What's up? What's up? Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show because there's profit out there. You just have to learn how to find it. Today, I'm joined by a pair of Side Hustle Show listeners who've been learning that skill and have translated it into tens of thousands of dollars in sales over the last 16 months. Jack and Joan Farrell are resellers, and they're about to break down the creative ways they source profitable inventory, how they handle the shipping and logistics, and the most effective ways they found to grow their business. Notes and links for this one, along with the full text summary of our call, are at sidehustlenation.com slash flipit2. This story starts with Jack drawing some inspiration from another Side Hustle Show guest. Ready? Let's do it. September 2020. I'm traveling to Savannah, Georgia to take care of a granddaughter whose daycare is shut down because of a COVID outbreak. It's a four-hour trip on I-95. I'm listening to several Side Hustle Nation podcasts. You're interviewing Stacy Gallego and a reselling business. And I just said, hmm. And then I listened again. And then I called Joan. And just a little bit about me. Um, thriftiness has always been part of my lifestyle. I grew up in a family of five children and with my father passing away at 10. And that began my life dollar to dollar living. And when I was 19, I had my own apartment and started to barter at garage sales, flea markets and resale stores to get my furniture, my clothing, my kitchenware, everything but, but food. So. And when we had our first date, I had a coupon for buy one, get one. So Jack (laughs) knew right off the bat how thrifty I was. And most of our dates also had been yard sailing, flea marketing, and going into resale stores. So um, one of the um, yard sale and flea markets that we went to, we got all my collections, all our collections spread out all over the floor, everything around us. And I had bartered on a down uh, sleeping bag and got it for $5. So we were sitting on the down sleeping bag talking about how our relationship is going and how much we have in common and how much we like. And he asked me to marry him. So we've continued on with this lifestyle as far as thriftiness, which has enabled us to retire a little bit earlier and then go in to start doing things that we truly enjoy. So the um, resale business seemed like a natural progression for us. Okay. So something you were doing as a, I guess, a personal shopping habit, you know, really for the, your whole life. And then it's like, well, maybe there's profit to be had here. Is that, am I understanding that correctly? Yes, that's right on. Right when on you, task. when we both listened to Stacy multiple times and you interviewing her and just looking at each other that oh, we can do this. Oh, we found something that helps us fine tune it. It's great. <laughs> Had no idea you can make money going to a flea market. I guess I've heard people doing it, but never really knew how or knew the process. Yeah. Were you pursuing other side hustle ideas or were there competing things? Well, maybe we ought to try building an online business or maybe we ought to try our hand at Amazon e-commerce or something like, were there other things in the running for future retirement projects to take on? I would say not as strong as what we felt as resale, but there were other ideas. Go ahead. And we would we would let it incubate for 
few days or a week and and then we would reconvene and look at each other and just say, no, I don't think that's us. It's going to be too much work. It's going to be too expensive to start. Just we needed to find something we kind of knew already how to do and how to expand on it. Yeah. You already had an eye for the deal or the thrill of the hunt that you know, Rob from Flea Market Flipper always talks about like this, you know, this treasure hunt mentality. You never know what you're going to find. And it's kind of what makes it new and exciting and different every time out. So what happens after that? So you're, you're cruising I-95, you're listening to Stacy, which is an awesome story. Stacy um, has gone from, you know, starting with 50 cents, flipping that all the way up to $100,000 in sales. And just, you know, she talked about flipping motorcycle sidecars and sleep number beds and all sorts of random stuff and has built a really crazy business and scaled back her whole nursing career. Definitely a really inspiring episode. Encourage you to check that out. So you guys are having these conversations. You say, you know what? I think this is worth, this is worth a shot. So what happens after that? And then we start looking into what are we going to buy first? What are we going to sell first? And we started out with the yard sales and the flea markets, and we found a never used inversion table at a yard sale. We purchased it for $50 and then sold it to a buyer in Colorado for $450. And it's like, bingo. <laughs> About 30 days into it, Nick, I found a fifth wheel hitch. That's the big item you put in the bed of a truck, gentlemen. Wanted to sell it, he purchased the truck, but it had this fifth wheel hitch in it that he didn't want anymore. So I got it for $150, sold it for $750 to a buyer in Texas, and this was the very first freight shipment we had. So roughly 30, 40 days, we we're beginning our first freight shipments. Wow. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, me as a, even just trying to sell stuff around the house, I feel very limited locally for big bulky items because it's like well i don't want to deal with uh, freight like that just sounds so intimidating to me i don't know how how much is it going to cost i know how much the post office charges to ship like a tiny little box it's like oh my gosh this is probably going to be hundreds of dollars but you guys figured it out and said you know what there's still a way there's still margin here to make this work i'm thinking you know like going back to this inversion table example this is you know something you you lie on that helps your back stretch out is that right Right. okay okay and so it's not small but maybe it folds up or something so you can figure out how to get that out to colorado yeah they the company actually had a way what you needed to do to package it up to send it back if it was defective so able to find here's how you package this thing yeah taking a minute to do research to find out how to package things is important too there's uh, youtube is a wonderful resource and also, um, kind of going off course here, but finding out some more information on that would be um, just asking the community of other resellers on how to package things and get them going and off and about. So we did our education that way. Then we had to figure out where we were going to put all this stuff when we did purchase it. Because when you jump in at, with both feet at first, you get excited. So I'm going to go buy this, I'm going to go buy this. Oh, look at this at the yard sale. And then we had downsized to a condo um, a couple of years ago because our kids had all grown and we didn't need all the space that we needed, not knowing that we were going to get into a business like this. So we ended up getting two storage spaces 
And then it was going to possibly be a third storage space. And we thought, wait, and we looked for warehouse space. So we found a warehouse um, 10 minutes from us. So we got that. And that gives us the opportunity to work with larger items. So in order to have that margin where you buy low and sell high, we felt as though you can, t- you can find smaller items like that. But larger items actually were what we, that's it. That was our goal. We went into the warehouse space uh, January 1st of 2021. Okay. I just say, look, we need, if we're, if we're going to be serious about this, we need a place to store this thing because to the, the condo having it stacked up in the living room is just not going to work. Right. And then the warehouse, the, the smaller rental spots were just not going to be big enough. What's it cost to, uh, to lease a, a small warehouse space or even like a storage locker space? Well, storage lockers were what? Um, 300 each. Yeah. Th- three, 300 each. So we were going, we we're going to go into a second one. So then we were s- spending almost 700 a month. Then if yeah. we needed a, a third one, we were going to be spending over a thousand dollars. So you might as well just get a warehouse space where you, s- which is much larger and you spend about the same amount and it's just more maneuverable. Okay. No, that makes sense. Appreciate you, appreciate you sharing that. It's like, whoa, yeah, if I have all of this stuff hanging around, because uh, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily turn immediately. And so I was like, well, I got I to gotta have a place to have it hang out for a while while it's being listed and eventually sold. Okay, so starting out on the inventory sourcing side, yard sales, flea markets, estate sales, like where else are you guys finding this initial stuff? And was there any buying criteria that went into the shopping? We did find out that having contacts were a key part of the business. And we would talk to individuals, understand understanding what, what, what they would need, and also trying to understand what we could give them. A good idea was going to the smaller flea markets. We actually found a gentleman that had set up there. And the reason he had set up there was that he had this huge garage full and house full of items that he needed to downsize due to health problems. He couldn't maintain everything that that he had. So we talked to him and then we went over to visit him. And um, having a garage full and a house full was an understatement. I mean, the, the gentleman had become very successful in sales and he started buying things because he could. So he had a lot of brand new items there and he had collector's items. One of them were these trolls that evidently we found out when we put it up on, put them up on eBay. We, we got them for a hundred dollars for four of them and they ended up selling for fifteen hundred dollars for the set. So. Yeah, it's... They're from Norway, I think. Yes. So what he had was pretty amazing. And then creating relationships with, with people and telling them what, what we do and passing out business cards and things like that helps to increase the sales too and getting our inventory. I think we paid 4000 for the items and sold them for 15000 So decent return on investment. And a business owner in the warehouse complex that we befriended, he 
relocated his performance auto parts manufacturing business last September and had a lot of items he didn't want to take with him. And we paid him over time around $10,000. And today we've, we're at about 30000 in sales and have more inventory that needs to get listed and sold. So, And that's, that's just from what we purchased from him. Okay. So it's trying to find, if I'm hearing correctly, trying to find sources, not just of one-off items. One-off items are great. That's the treasure hunt element of it. But trying to find, where can you acquire a lot of inventory all at once? Because that's like the challenge of this business is, you know, if you don't have anything to sell, then you can't make any money. So it's trying to constantly be refilling that inventory bucket. And those were a couple of good examples. Have you found any particular niche or category of items that you would like to specialize in? Or it's just like, look, if if the margin is there, I'll, we'll take it. We'd like to specialize in, I would say, automotive, uh, sports equipment, some restaurant equipment. We call them Craigslist and Facebook and Marketplace and offer up and source online. We've been doing some auctions lately. Last week, I purchased the used industrial fan through a website called Bidadu. I don't know if you've heard of that, Nick, but... No, that's a new one for me. B-I-D-A-D-O-O. Bought this thing for $26. It's manufactured in Texas. And the model sells for $6,300 new. So after a thorough cleaning, just got it last week, haven't really got to it. But after a thorough cleaning, we're hoping that it sells between $22 and $2,900. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and the rule of thumb trying to figure that out is um, if the item is still being manufactured and you can find what it sells for new, the rule of, rule of thumb is to sell it for half of what it's sold for at retail. And then if the condition of it is almost new, you can sell for a little bit above that margin. So that helps us for price points. Okay. In, in trying to determine what this thing might be worth, like how much, how much can I reasonably pay for this and still find a buyer for it? Okay. So because of the steep discount, the used merchandise buyer is willing to take a chance. Hey, I'm saving so much money versus buying this thing new. And assuming you were able to buy it low enough, there's still plenty of margin for you and then accounting for shipping and storage and the other things that eat into that as well. But that's helpful to figure out. Are you looking at any of the eBay comps or like like recently sold or these kind of like so specific items there? Maybe there aren't any you know completed listings that would be a good comp or a good match. Even the fan that I was just mentioning, we looked and saw what a comp was. It was a, a smaller fan that sells for about $3,000, but in the same family of fans, it sells for 3000 new, one sold on eBay for 1200 yes. Yeah. So this bigger one that sells for 6300 6, new, we're figuring it probably should sell between 22 and 29 Yeah, e- e- eBay offers an avenue where you can go onto their website and see sold items. And if you find something comparable to what you're selling, uh, you get a good idea of what it prospectively could sell for. It's the research aspect of it. And then there are a couple other websites that you can go to or just a general search on the internet for the specific item that will give you an idea of what it might have been sold for originally or reselling for. 
More with Jack and Joan in just a moment, including the overall profit margins they're aiming for on a per item basis. But first, this. If you're scrambling to get your books in order and you may be thinking, never again, this is the year I finally get organized, I want to invite you to check out our sponsor, FreshBooks.com, which helps you track income and expenses throughout the year. That gives you a real-time dashboard of your profitability and it makes your taxes a breeze. Here's FreshBooks founder and CEO, Mike McDermott, on what FreshBooks does and who it's for. Ridiculously easy to use invoicing and accounting software that's in the cloud so you can access it on any device. As I like to say, if you invoice, you need FreshBooks. We don't do retail. We don't do restaurants. We're just built for people who who send invoices, get paid for their time and expertise. And we serve people with no employees up to people with a lot of employees. Side Hustle Show listeners can try FreshBooks free for 30 days at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That's freshbooks.com slash side hustle to test it out for free. No catch and no credit card required. Did you know that roughly half of Side Hustle Nation hasn't started their side hustle yet? If that's you, I get it. Starting and building a business is tough. It takes more than just an idea. There are tons of moving parts and it's a bit like trying to assemble your airplane in the middle of takeoff. Thankfully, our sponsor, Taylor Brands, is helping Side Hustle Show listeners make that leap and make it all a lot easier. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, making sure you have everything you need all in one place. Think of it like your behind-the-scenes partner for things like LLC formation, licenses and permits, getting an EIN, setting up your business bank account, bookkeeping and invoicing, insurance, logos, trademark protection, and a lot more. Taylor Brands helps you handle it all seamlessly. And to get you started, Side Hustle Show listeners get 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans when you use our link. That's taylorbrands.com slash side hustle. Taylor Brands, like a tailor for your clothes, T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A. A-N-D-S dot com slash side hustle. Start your business journey today with the help of Taylor Brands. Are the sellers, you know, as you're walking around or you're doing your research conspicuously on your phone or something, or the, I mean, the, the sellers have to know that you don't have a need for a giant industrial fan in your, in your condo. And so there's, well, you're going to flip this and make some money on it. Do you ever get the pushback? Well, shoot, if you're going to make this money, like maybe I should just do this myself or they just want to be done with it. Like the guy, you know, who's had all those collectibles and stuff in his house. Like, uh, you know, maybe I should just sell this stuff myself. Do you ever get that kind of feedback as you're going through this process? The whole idea when you're talking with the individual is you're expressing how you can help them. And that would take a lot of off their plates. For example, the gentleman who has the health issues, he doesn't want to have to go through and list all this stuff on, on eBay. Yeah. Um, so that's why he had us help. Now, as far as anyone kind of be giving us negative feedback when we tell them what we do, actually, we get the opposite because um, we recently purchased some van seats from a gentleman and went to the storage place where he had the van seats. And he was, he asked, well, what are you going to use these for? And I said, well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about us. What we do is we're going to actually resell these. And he said, oh, in that case, I have more seats here. (laughs) Do do, do you want them? And that worked out great. So we ended up coming back with more seats than, than we thought. And then sometimes the conversation will lead into, what do you think this is worth? Mm 
I have this whole big barn full of, of stuff. Do you want to come out and take a look at it? And so we get more of that feedback than, than negative feedback. Yeah. What else, what else could you help me get rid of here? Let me show you what else I've got. Okay. Here, here's a, I guess a little story that I'll share. It's sort of a circuitous route. So yeah, yeah, everybody stay close with me. We purchased four brand new seats out of a Mercedes Sprinter van, brand new. Just It was driven from the dealer to a van conversion place in a town not far from us. And it was a consulting company that bought it, and they wanted to create a mobile office, had no need for these seats anymore. And we introduced ourselves to the principals of the van conversion company. And two weeks later, a man converting a 2018 Ford Transit van was referred by the owners of the van conversion company. And the transit owner was a lawyer, and he was going to travel the United States, figured out he could do business and and sightsee. He was single. So we purchased all of his seats for $1,100. These transit seats were listed on eBay and locally, and about a week to two weeks later, a local woman contacted us and wanted to purchase one of the transit bent seats for her husband's transit van project, which I wasn't sure what that meant. We later found out, but their son came a few days later and picked up the seat for his father. I showed him the mining brackets and and other seats we had, and we hit it off. He said his father may be interested. I followed up with the son a week later, and that's something we find you need to do, like in any business, is follow up. So I followed up with the son. Oh, yeah, thanks for calling. My dad does want these. So he came back over. He purchased the mining brackets. And the son called a few weeks later and said, hey, I'd like for you to come over. My mother and father have some things that they want to sell. And without question, and it's a 25-minute drive, I didn't see it was a big sacrifice of our time to see how we could help these people. And we walk in and bingo. It it turned out that his parents were in the food service industry with eateries around the United States. And they had this never used turbo air. It's an open front grab and go cooler like you would see in an airport where you could go by and get a Coke or you get a sandwich. Had one sitting there. Okay, okay. And they also had a number of restaurant items and other items that they needed to move because they had just leased out the space. And so we purchased the turbo air for more than we would like, but we picked up the other items, pennies on the dollar. And the cooler was heavy. It was big. We sold it on eBay uh, a few weeks after listing it to a man in Brooklyn, New York. We made 2000 on the cooler. Wow. And the cooler arrives in New York City, a man uncrates it, and he's coming back to us over eBay saying, Hey, I want one more just like it. <laughs> so so you know you have a you know you have a happy customer, that kind of reply. And it's just one example of I guess rhino's rhino sorcerosity where you put your nose down and charge head first into things. Yeah. And when you're talking and you're bargaining with the individuals, you, you really need to listen to them. It's important to find out exactly what they're looking for. So they were heart set. They wanted this many dollars for the, the turbo air. They yeah. weren't really concerned about all the other items. So we paid 
almost exactly what they wanted for the turbo air. And then we did literally get everything else for pennies on the dollar. And these were objects that we could sell from anywhere from $10 to $100. And it was the transaction went beautifully and even they even helped us load everything. So it's a good way to tie in and really listen to what people want so you can get what you want in return. His dad even gave us a set of wheels and tires off his transit van. (laughs) And we sold those to a gentleman in Great Falls, Montana, shipped them there. Because they were laying out in the lawn. (laughs) (laughs) He says, here, you take these too. I said, sure. Uh, Okay. Yeah, I can. I mean, when we were moving last summer, I guess I was in that same mentality. I just needed out of the house. I don't care what it's worth. Just it's not going to fit in the truck. So it's got to go now. And so I could see people in that mentality and maybe they, maybe the people who did grab it for free off of marketplace ended up reselling it. I don't know. Uh, Okay. So the, the van seats, the restaurant equipment, building these uh, networks and connections kind of in your local area. And then instead of having it just a local marketplace, putting it on eBay to have a national or international potential audience of buyers there. I think I'm on board with that, uh, that side of things. Anything else on the inventory sourcing front, just from a, you know, consistent best practices, trying to find these deal fountains, so to speak. I think we talked about deal fountains on a recent episode versus the, uh, the one-off stuff. Oh, just, um, keeping your eye out. Um, sourcing every day, pretty much. I I know Jack, he does numbers in the morning and keeps track of things. And then he'll go and he gets alerts that come from a variety of different websites. And then he'll click into the alerts and see whether or not they're worth it. I'll do the same thing in the morning. I'm a yard sailor. So I like to go out and uh, check out to see if there might be any inventory in the yard sale or at the flea, flea markets. And we don't hesitate to drive an hour to go pick up something that we feel as though is going to be worth it. So maintaining inventory and constantly looking for it before it dwindles down to maybe 10 items that you have left, you need to get, you need to keep the momentum going and keeping, yeah. tra- and keeping track of the inventory is important to you. And reinvesting what you make into the next item or the next set of items. Jack, for these online alerts, are there a handful of helpful tools or something like, cause I'll get push notifications from, from offer up. And it says like new items available from sellers you follow. It's like, I'm not following any sellers. Like quit bothering me with this stuff, but maybe there is a more sophisticated way to set something like that up or, you know, the Craigslist RSS feed or Facebook marketplace, something like that. Well, what I find, Nick, it's it's Craigslist and it's offer up. Facebook does not have the. I can conduct a search. Uh, so I'm looking for ATVs, you know, the mobile vehicles, not cars. And once you have your criteria, how far, what you want to pay, it's multiple criteria you can select, or you can select none and be very broad. And then you can save that search, and then you can have it push to you when there's a new item that pops up daily. So that's what Joan is talking about. Same with offer up. You can put in these save searches when something hits that marketplace that matches the criteria you have, then it will, 
it will push it to you. So it's a, it's an automation protocol that helps simplify. And you're doing those based on items that you've sold in the past. Like, oh, if, if somebody has a new Mercedes Sprinter van seat, like, I want to know about that because now I have experience in selling that. Bingo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I should... Um... I need to do that for like st- the stuff I'm shopping for personally. Just like, oh, I want to know whenever we were looking for a new bike for our son. And it's like, you know, he doesn't, he's six years old. He doesn't need a brand new bike, like something gently used. He's going to grow out of it in a year anyways. Like, okay, so setting up these types of inventory alerts on the different marketplaces, at least the ones that allow it, uh, I can see how that would be a helpful way to go. Getting into the business is definitely a mindset. So you need to... Forget that you can buy things for new and that there's somebody has already purchased it and bound, it's bound to be one out there that's you can get at a lot less. And they haven't used it. They don't want to use it. They used it one time and it's not for them, whatever their situation or health. Some a myriad of reasons. Yeah. yeah. For, for example, for my own personal use, I got a Roomba and the Roomba, This one particularly sells for like $250. This lady used it once. She didn't like the way it performed and sold it for $10. So, yeah. So maybe maybe we should flip that. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Takes care of the dog hair. Great. (laughs) I need a, I need a Lego proof uh, Roomba in our house. It's just, (laughs) if it could somehow navigate around all of that stuff that's on the floor, that would be great. Okay, so stuff as you as you find it, it comes into the warehouse space now, and then does it require fixing up? Does it immediately get photographed and and listed on eBay, or you know where do you find most of the reselling customers or or the the new buyer customers? We try to process it as rapidly as we can so that it's clean, photographed, and put on on eBay, and then we. Also post things locally, but we find that the the best to receive the best price for an item, we need that bigger marketplace, and that's what we tend to do. Yeah, as far as cleaning it up, um, Jack is pretty handy, so he has a good idea of what it would take to make sure something is stabilized, um, what a good cleaning product would be, or else he'll look it up. And then he does the majority of the cleaning. I help out at times, but he's also project-oriented. So once he starts something, I know for sure it's going to get done. And then we set up a studio, a little studio in our area where we do photographs. And with the photographs, we then create the description based on information that we found on the item, doing some research and then post that into eBay or whatever online platform, which could be multiple that we're selling it on. Okay. And it's not always as simple as like, well, I scanned the barcode on the back of this thing and it told me what the item number was. And sometimes you got to figure out, well, who's the manufacturer, what model number it is. Like there's a little bit of research that goes into that on the buying side for you guys. Like, is there ever a, due diligence phase, like with this industrial fan, uh, as one example, like, well, does it work? Are there any issues with it? Like, I'm not in this industry, so I don't even know what to look for here. Is there any, like, upfront vetting or we're selling this for parts? It doesn't work. I don't know what working condition it is in. And just, I need somebody to take it off my hands. 
Well, a good story is a forklift. You just never know what's going to happen through it. Jack worked with it most of the time, but when we got it, everything for except for the lift forks worked. And then... This was from the gentleman that moved. It had the automotive parts manufacturing. Yeah. He just didn't want to take this forklift, and it was a little switch that was burned out. Yeah, but there was quite a bit of age on it, but it was still a very desirable forklift. So we started to work on it, then something stopped, something else stopped, then something else stopped, and then we (laughs) we got it repaired, and then something else stopped. So you just never know what's going to happen. So to answer your question, yes, sometimes it's working just fine. And then sometimes it's, oh my gosh, why did we buy this? <laughs> I thought that's where the story with the, the front loading cooler refrigerator thing was going to end. Oh, we shipped it to Brooklyn. The guy opens it up. And I, I thought, <laughs> based on how you were leading into that story, he's going to be like, this is garbage. It doesn't even work. Like, why did I pay for this? I was like, this, no, no, no. This thing was packaged tight, Nick. <laughs> It would have taken a hurricane and a tornado to, <laughs> yeah. to mess that thing up. But yeah. yeah, shipping does have its challenges at time. Um, but fortunately, we've only had two things break that we've shipped, and we've shipped out a lot. That's good. That was my just lighting $100 on fire, shipping something very poorly or packaging something very poorly on eBay. It was like a ceramic thing, and it just was shattered by the time it finally got to the person. And they're like, well, why did you do it this way? I'm like, I didn't know any better. Apparently, I was just, you know, rookie mistakes, rookie mistakes. So uh, is the forklift for sale? Is it still like in the process of repair? Good news. It's sold and it's sold to a man in Egypt who also lives in the U.S. And it's going to be containerized and sent to the Middle East, maybe to Egypt. I don't know where it's going. I just know it was out of our hands. <laughs> it was it was working. So the person caught a bought it during the span that it was working. So oh, it's working. It's all, It'll be fine. I, I know, but I just couldn't We wait took to a video. <laughs> he said he wanted to see a video. And so I had a friend visiting and he uh, familiar with a forklift operation. So I took a couple videos, one showing all the operation and two, I, I told him any flaws that I felt, you know, were part of this machine. I'm not here to sell garbage to somebody. Joan isn't either. We're trying to do right by everybody we do business with. So here's some of the weaker points about it and uh, didn't seem to be a hindrance. Yeah, that's an important uh, thing to remember. When you're selling a product and it has flaws, scratches, anything, you need to let the buy the potential buyer know that. It kind of under-promise. So they're exhilarated when they receive it, that every it looks a lot better than what you described it as or worked better than what you described it as. Okay. Where I think a lot of sellers, the tendency would be to go the opposite. It's in like new condition and they get there and it's like, well, it's got a leg falling off. Like <laughs> You didn't tell me about this. We find that in you know, local people that are sourcing. We bought a an item that was called an eye gallop. <laughs> it was a exercise machine that you sit on and it simulated a horse. Okay. <laughs> okay. Never saw one before and it's the only one, but they're out there. We saw comps, what sold for, but it was, it was pretty rough, but we got it spiffed. It worked fine, but got it shined up and it fit in a, a big, big box. And, 
and uh, able to find a buyer for it. So Mm -hmm. it worked out fine. Yeah, that's so we don't want someone to have that disappointment like we feel when we go to sell them something. We want to make them aware that this is what you're going to get. This is how it's described. And we know how we feel. We don't want them to feel the same way. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over three and a half million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, talk to me about the shipping side of things for something like a forklift or something that's just like, I'm not going to roll up to the post office with this thing. It just, because I see the videos of, of Rob, you know, building pallets and he's like, okay, we're shipping out the bus wash or I don't know. Something yeah, ginormous. Sure. And it's like, I just, I don't know. I mean, I guess if you got enough margin in an item, sure, I'll figure out how to get it done. But it seems for, for somebody who's never done it before. And I think Stacy said the same thing, like, until you do it, you never done anything before. <laughs> and once you do it, it's like, well, that wasn't so hard. But I'm curious about the uh, shipping side, the freight shipping, and how you guys have toe dipped your way into that. And it sounds like now pretty comfortable with it. Yeah, we rely on Big Joe quite a bit, Nick. And uh, <laughs> Big Joe is our little walk-behind forklift. He he lifts things up and helps us move stuff around. Okay. Uh, and it's getting things on a pilot and getting it secured properly, getting it wrapped properly. We've sold a lot of bench seats out of Mercedes and transit Ford transit vans shipped them one recently as far as Bellingham, Washington. It's about as 
far in the U.S. as you can get from Central yeah, that's, Florida. That's, that's not right far up from there me. At, uh, at British Columbia. So it, it have the proper tools. We have a a scale that will read the weight to you. So I have Big Joe lift the item up. We insert the scale under the pilot and gently put it on the scale and and then squint with our ears to hear what it says, and it will tell you the weight up to... Because <laughs> you're not going to be able to read it? Okay. Yeah, well, I can't, yeah, can't get it off fast enough to read it. <laughs> okay. So it, I think it goes up to 350 or 400 pounds. So most of what we've had has been beyond, beyond, been under that. Okay. So do you keep a stack of pallets just as you find them in the warehouse? Yeah, I have warehouse? a stack in the warehouse, and... Fortunately, in the warehouse complex we're in, a lot of people discard them. Uh, business right beside them seem to go through quite a few. So if they're decent, I've asked them to just put them in front of our door and we'll take them. Yeah, and it won't go beyond us to go dumpster diving to find stuff for packaging or for a, a pallet might be stuck behind a, um, a dumpster, and but in great shape. So one person's garbage is another person's gold. So... <laughs> no, that's that's totally fine. I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit doing the same thing, like for my Amazon FBA flipping business. Like I didn't have enough boxes to send stuff into the Amazon warehouses. So, I, you know, on garbage night or recycling night, just walk through the complex. You're like, oh, that's a perfectly good box. You just, you, you know, look around. Nobody's looking like, okay, I'll go, I'll go use this. Yeah, I've totally been there. So, so it's a matter of Packaging it up on the pallet, and maybe there's some YouTube training on this to figure out how to secure it and make sure it doesn't die in transit. But then getting it to the freight shipping center, do you have a pickup truck or do they come pick this stuff up for you? I'm thinking about that logistics side of it. They can pick up for you. Uh, we found that we like to take it there. It's sort of on our terms. It's about a 35-minute drive from our warehouse to a freight terminal. And we have a, we have a uh, Ford Transit van, no seats in it. And we also have a trailer that we got and put together. And it, it folds up, so it stores in the warehouse extremely neat. Anybody that, you know, and I believe Stacy was the one the genesis of that idea made me aware of these folding trailers. So we have one works great. I picked up something that was over a ton yesterday morning from a, an auction facility. It's a, a crown wave. It's a, a people platform that will lift somebody up to pick boxes off a warehouse shelving. So don't know if it works, but we toted it back from where the auction site was yesterday morning. And we'll get it to work. We'll get it to cleaned up and looking good. Okay. So there's some local auctions that go on for sourcing? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's quite a few auctions all around the country. It's, it's surprising the, the amount uh, of auctions that are out there that you just need to know. Government auctions. We looked at inventory of an auction that was a book company going out of or closing the, their warehouse facility. We did yeah. on some things. We didn't, uh, we weren't the winner. What's it like to show up? Like, is there a bunch of other people like you all crowded around? And I just imagine the fast talking auctioneer. And is, is there even enough time to try and look up the comps and see what these things might be worth? 
Well, a lot of times if there's an auction offered and it's not strictly online, they give you um, a a time frame to go in and preview everything. So when you get, when you preview, you get the chance to do your comps and um, that, that makes life a lot easier. Even the online auctions, they'll have them up for a while or else the auction will go for three to four days. And then you still have the option to preview them online and you can wait till later on in the auction to bid on it, depending on, on what the product is. We've done that a couple of times, that local auction. And, yeah. And it, it was very mixed results. Yeah. So right. We, uh, it was fun, but it was mixed results as far as a business was concerned. Yeah. You could go an hour early to preview what they were offering, but there was such a there's such a huge amount that they put on the floor every single week. It's amazing. I don't know where they get all this stuff, hmm. but okay, it's. And I would imagine any major metropolitan area has something like that. Yes. Yeah, that's an interesting potential new avenue for inventory. Was there a lot of competition there, or were were you guys the only folks? Uh, no, no there's a lot of people. Yeah, that's that that one. It was crammed full. Okay. Um, the other ones are more in open spaces because the objects are larger. This was basically in a, a, a huge warehouse, the one that was local that we went to, where we had the hour to take a look at them. And most of them, uh, most of that was um, appliances, furniture, and small items. So not really our focus that we figured out. That's that's not the place we want to be right now. Yeah. You mentioned on the reselling side, like a detailed product description, being upfront about any flaws that the item has, setting up your own kind of photo studio, I'm assuming in the warehouse, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel and like trying to take pictures from every angle again. Uh, Anything else on the marketing side of things, the sales side? You need to maintain the momentum on sales and marketing. eBay offers a lot of avenues to help you promote your item promoting listings, offering discounts. They have coupons. They encourage changing wording and also your descriptions. And posting on multiple platforms is really important. Having business cards, especially if you are sourcing from a local audience, being able to leave your business card is very important. And you just don't leave just one. You you give them a bunch or you offer to email your information to them. That way it's right in front of them. Or you want you text it to them, something that will get it in front of them all the time. That's just a general marketing practice, no matter what business that you're in. You want to be in, in front of your potential customer on a regular basis. Anything that has surprised you along the way over the last 16 months uh, of doing this? I think a surprise, Nick, is the amount of items there are out there to flip. And I'll be perfectly honest. I didn't realize that the Robin, Melissa, Stephenson, the flea market flippers were in an adjacent town. And I probably, if I would have known that, might have not moved ahead. Oh, like my, my competition is right here. Yeah, there's a, this guy knows it all. Why, <laughs> why am I going to compete there? However... We're probably in a few weeks and I'm looking at this family photograph and I see a caboose in the background and I know exactly where this chassis system caboose is. It's in 
uh, the town of Winter Springs, Florida, where the Stephensons live. Yeah. So, <laughs> but that was a that's that's dumb. You know, that's chaotic, dumb thinking because there's <laughs> just so much stuff out there. We never cross paths. I don't know if we cross paths with anybody. And there's mm-hmm. other people that do this. You think about the amount of people that live in the metropolis that you live and how much stuff they purchase and how much stuff they don't want. And it's mind boggling. So as far as finding what you want and somebody telling you, well, I can't find stuff. That's not a good enough excuse because it's out there and you just have to go to kind of step out of your comfort zone, step out of your box and figure out other places that you could find items. Yeah. Central Florida is a reseller central. We had Nate and Alicia Jackson on the show. They were talking about bra flipping from Kohl's, like going in and somehow stacking up a bunch of Kohl's coupons and selling those on Amazon. And they're like, oh yeah, we would hit, you know, seven or eight different Kohl's in, in a weekend along the, uh, you know, Orlando area. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's awesome that you're able to find the stuff rolling up and buying thousands of dollars worth of inventory just from retail stores. Is there a target margin? You said you shared a little bit about the pricing on, well, you know, the guideline is going to be half of, you know, the full brand new retail price. But is there a margin that you're shooting for, you know, backing into that price, I guess, and then estimating shipping and saying, well, I need to buy it for this amount to, to meet my goal or to make that worthwhile? We're trying anywhere from three to 10 times uh, what we buy it for, depending on how much it is. Like that big turbo air, we probably wouldn't have paid as much as we did. I think it was 3500 and we sold it for a little over $5,500. So just try to look at, at, at that number. Okay. Is that common? Like the, the bigger the purchase like in, in terms of raw dollars, like, oh, I can make a couple thousand dollars. I'm less concerned with, with 10Xing the uh, purchase price. Correct. So that thing retails for seventy five hundred. This guy got a great value at fifty five hundred, and you know we did okay in the whole process. It was a you know package deal, and we helped these people clear out the space that they had just leased. Yeah, and getting back into shipping, um, we found that majority of the population of the world likes immediate gratification. So we have incorporated. Um, the cost of shipping into the item's selling price. Okay, so you're baking that into the cost and saying, well, this is $5,500 with free shipping. How do you figure out an estimate for what that shipping is going to be on such a large item? Okay, well, eBay does offer a page that you can go to and you can put in the weight and the dimensions and where and your zip code. And then hit enter, and it will give you three destinations spread out all over the United States. And then you kind of ballpark what that average um, cost of shipping is going to be and incorporate that into the, the price. So and This is for UPS, FedEx, or, or USPS. Right. Now, for freight shipping, we can do the same thing through like YRC's website. We can get a ballpark of how much it's going to cost with shipping. Okay. They've got an online estimator where you punch in weight and approximate dimensions. It's a dimensional quote is what it's known as. And and I try to put in a zip code. 
in your direction. I have a LA zip code I put in. So from here to LA, it tells me, you know, this not as much as somebody's going to pay for this item. And then I'll do Pittsburgh, my old stomping ground and, and maybe Chicago. And it gives me a, an idea of what it would cost to go around the United States and, okay, and then come up with, okay, we can live with this price if we ship it. So it could be a flat fee or we could live with this price baked into it. And if we want to ship internationally, we do that mostly on, on eBay. They offer an option where you can send it to a facility in Kentucky. And then from Kentucky, they send it out internationally. So that's, that's the way eBay solves the problem of sending <clears throat> items internationally. So then we just have to pay for the shipping to Kentucky and then they charge a percentage. It's fairly small for shipping it to another country. We sold some automotive parts from, again, the person that manufactured it were for a Ford Mustang, I think lower control arms. Very nice. And went to Italy and the guy wrote back and said, these are great. (laughs) Now, as far as um, for shipping the the really big items like the forklift, we had to actually hire somebody to come pick it up because none of our ways to get it to the shipping center would have been able to handle that kind of weight. So this was through you ship, yes, yeah, so and it was a husband and wife team out of Mississippi. They had the proper equipment, and uh, there were a lot of people that wanted to ship it. Mostly, they were brokers, but this was the actual carrier that I looked. I don't have to deal with the middleman. I can see his equipment. He backed it right up, and we drove the forklift up on there. That was our first experience with something that big. So what we like to do is we use um, Google Drive. And uh, within Google Drive, we have, um, if we purchase a large amount from a customer, we have an inventory list that we actually put into that customer's folder. And then when we find out how to do specific things, it's almost like creating a procedure book. Yeah. Then we put in how we were able to manage to ship that large item. So we have something to resource to so we don't have to keep on reinventing the wheel each time. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, and and then just the Google sheet to say, well, wh- what do we have? What's been sitting here the longest? What do we get it for? What did, you know, just some some sort of electronic tracking to say, okay, how how are things turning? What do they eventually sell for? So you can keep track of mm-hmm. uh, profit and loss on a item by item basis, in addition to kind of the monthly overall picture. You guys comfortable sharing a typical month's sales volume if there is such a thing these days? Um, this past 30 days, I looked two days ago, it was 17,500 on, that's just on eBay, Yeah, which has been most of where our sales have been the last month. Yes. So right, right now we're outsourcing for larger items that we can purchase low to sell for that kind of profit. And so you learn as you go. So it's been. And we're not here to put down anybody that, you know, limited in space that, because the the ratios still remain the same or can be you buy something for you know for thirty dollars and and sell it for two hundred and twenty five you know yeah. it's it's good yeah. money or people prefer to stay with what they call smalls and that's the way they want to do their business and that works for them it's just we have um everybody hits 
how they want to work their business and how they want to make their profit. Right. Yeah. You can, we've covered flipping books and like thrift store clothing and stuff. And it's like you said, the margins are there. It's totally doable, but it becomes very much a volume game versus like, Oh, we can make a thousand dollars on one item for, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a little bit more work, especially if you're going to have to do a, a pallet type of thing, but you know, dealing with one customer instead of, you know, 25. Okay. Then I think that's more, I don't know, more scalable in a way, or at least it seems to be, but where do you guys want to take this thing? What's, what's down the road for uh, the second time sellers? And the great thing about this business is you can come into it knowing zero. And once you understand how to source something and then how to sell it, sometimes stepping out of your comfort zone, you can excel at it. And um, it, Jack and I had, um, we had a cup, we're a couple of steps forward because he started two businesses and I worked, um, I had a business and worked independently a lot with the jobs that, that I had. So we're both self-starters, but you can work with this business no matter where you are with knowing about business. It's pretty easy. So we're shooting for a quarter of a million in, in revenue, Nick. Yeah, it's going to take okay. some time, but you know that would be based on thirty thousand to fifty thousand of of inventory, and then you know that's getting five to eight dollars on every uh, dollar invested. And Joni and I love to sell what we build up. <laughs> it's funny. I started a side hustle business in nineteen ninety one. And it was a long reach shearing tool for the Christmas tree business. And that's obscure business, but I was in that industry. Horticulture. Okay. And I sold the shearing practice and the proceeds paid for our wedding and honeymoon back in 1998. He didn't tell oh. me that either. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Well, I'm excited to see you where you take this thing and everything that you built. So far, again, secondtimesellers.com. You can find Jack and Joan over there. Let's wrap this thing up with your number one tips for Side Hustle Nation. Joan, why don't you kick us off? No matter what you choose to do, you should educate yourself. And even if you know some about it, the best thing to do is to take a course, go on to YouTube, do your research before you start it which is what, what we did. And when Jack told me about the Flea Market Flipper University course, it was the perfect venue because you need education to further yourself no matter what you do. And you can still be considered learning it on your own. But when you have somebody tell you exactly the trials and tribulations you're going to run into and how to perform the business and how it actually works, it's a lot easier than trying to try to do it all all on your own. And education is cheap compared to ignorance. (laughs) So, yes. (laughs) So you want to just continue to build your knowledge no matter what you choose to do. Appreciate that. Educate yourself. I like that line. Education is cheap compared to ignorance. Very good. Jack, what about you? I heard something not too long ago, and it, it's just a kick in the butt. And it it's from Martin Luther King Jr. And he, he said, if you can't fly, then run. If you can't run, then walk. If you can't walk, then crawl. But whatever you do, 
you have to keep moving forward. And, you know, I started an employment newspaper and then a website for the international horticulture industry in 1993. And I had all my ducks in a row to begin the project and was speaking with this young lady who is a mentor because she had a similar publication in a parallel industry. And she said, Jack, you're ready. All you have to do is start doing it. And it was like, you know, you scratch your head. I guess she's right. All I got to do is start doing it. And she was right. And five years later, I sold it to largest advertiser and it's still in existence today. And Action combined with intellect will begin to open doors of opportunity that you just can't even think of if you sit there and, you know, like you, Nick, if you wouldn't have started Side Hustle Nation and all the other hustles that you've started, you wouldn't be interviewing us today. You'd be doing something that might not be as satisfying. Yes. So you never know where life is going to lead you again. We have a term lease with the current warehouse for three years. So we'll probably reevaluate after three years and see if this is still something we want to continue. If not, we'll try to sell it to somebody. Anybody want to live in Central Florida? And take- <laughs> that's, that's a question. <laughs> yeah. And, and take over the business. But um, it's but you never know where the roads are going to lead. It's we're going to do reevaluate in two years and go from there. Yeah. Well, very cool. Really appreciate you guys joining me. It's been a ton of fun learning the ins and outs of the uh, second time sellers operation, the reselling operation. Again, secondtimesellers.com. You can find Jack and Joan over there. I really appreciate you guys joining me and we'll catch up with you soon. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. All right. Hope you enjoyed that call with Jack and Joan Farrell from secondtimesellers.com. Super inspiring story of taking action. I think they were both very generous sharing their strategies. A couple of things stood out to me. The first was Joan's assertion that you can come into this business knowing zero and uh, have this willingness to learn as you go. I like that. And not that you needed any permission to go out there and see what kind of products you could source. There it is. So keep your risks low and uh, go see if you can multiply some money. Uh, second thing was the power of relationships. I think there might be a tendency to shy away from sharing exactly your intent when you're out there sourcing. But the surprising thing is, at least in Jack and Joan's case, uh, by being upfront about it, hey, yeah, we we plan on reselling this stuff, we're resellers, it opens up the conversation to potentially a whole lot more inventory and a whole lot more profit than you otherwise might have had right in front of you. I know this is something that um, Rob from uh, Flea Market Flipper and Flipper U hammers on, this networking, this building relationships piece of it, but it was helpful to see a few illustrations of that in action for Jack and Joan. And then finally, developing consistent processes. And I think this applies to any business, whether you're reselling, whether you're in e-commerce, freelancing, online business. There were examples of this really sprinkled throughout the episode. Uh, The call to create some sort of inventory tracking system in Google Sheets versus just storing it all in your head, which if if you're doing a low volume business, you conceivably could, but very helpful to do as your business grows. The uh, photo studio was one example for taking product pictures Jack's a method of setting up alerts for products that were similar to what they've sold in the past. I really like that. So you don't have to uh, completely reinvent the wheel with each new uh, inventory item. And then a side note, I did find on Facebook Marketplace, there's a little 
bell icon that you can use to create an alert uh, based on a keyword search for what that's worth. I just set one up for a, a mountain bike that I'm, I've been shopping for. Once again, you'll find the full text summary of this episode and links to all the resources mentioned at sidehustlenation.com slash flipit2. And be sure to check out Flea Market Flipper. There's a free workshop at least at press time. I know Joan just mentioned uh, Flipper U. I do have a referral link for that. It's sidehustlenation.com slash FMF. Rob and Melissa have taught a lot of people how to make money in this business. They've been doing it themselves for years. So thanks to them for sharing that. Thanks to Jack and Joan for sharing their insight. Thanks to FreshBooks for sponsoring this week. You can start your 30-day free trial of the number one invoicing and accounting solution for freelancers and service providers everywhere at freshbooks.com slash side hustle. That is it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show. Hustle on.